Welcome to this episode of Korea's Takeoff, where we learn the very latest about how careers are changing and how people are changing their careers. I'm your host, Conrad Chua. We've got a great lineup in this series. You'll be learning about what's shaking up the video games industry, how biotechs go from a breakthrough in the lab to a blockbuster drug, and also what's behind the Academy Awards. But today, it's all about how sales and marketing are changing. Before I introduce our great panel we've got here, I want to remind you to put your questions in the comments field, whether you're watching this on Facebook, YouTube, or LinkedIn. You can start by writing down where you're watching us from today. On to our panel. First, we have Sarah Broderick. Sarah has had extensive experience in software as a service marketing since graduating from Cambridge. She's now the COO of Connect4, a Cambridge startup. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for having me. We also have Julia Seri, head of modernization sales at Schindler. She's got loads of experience in product marketing. Welcome, Julia. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Thank you. And we also have Akshat Mathur, Global Head, Sales and Process Enablement with Deliveroo. Akshat has lots of experience in the e-commerce space. So welcome, Akshat. Thanks, Conrad. Uh, hey, everyone. Very excited to be here. Great. So why don't we start with a, sort of each one of the panel just giving a brief introduction about um, themselves and where their experience in sales and marketing is. Um, Sarah, could we start with, your, with you? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so I started off my career in the SaaS business after the MBA um, prior to, to finishing or prior to coming to the UK for my MBA. I was in the States for 10 years doing um, private equity in the real estate space. Uh, so asset management, investor relations, et cetera. But soft software was coming more and more into my space. And so I decided to, to learn about that. Um, and so since finishing my MBA, I was matriculation uh, 2014, along with Julia. Um, I've been concentrating in the SaaS space. I've worked for very large organizations like Infosys and IHS Market and very early stage companies, um, such as the group I'm with right now, which is Connect4, and a few other groups along the way, such as uh, Clinked and, and some others. So that's that's been my experience. I've had all sorts of roles specifically really around the recurring revenue side of things. So that includes um, uh, you know, commercial operations, uh, sales, marketing, as well as customer success. Thanks, Sarah. Great to hear, hear that. Um, we've got a couple of people telling us where they're watching from. So Arthur Meadows, a good friend of, of the school, he's, he's watching this from Cambridge on YouTube. So welcome, Arthur. <laughs> um, Julia, do you want to um, give a bit more introduction about your experience in sales and marketing? Yes, sure. So I'm Julia. I come from Italy, first of all. Uh, my initial background is a little bit different. I studied engineering. Uh, but uh, right after my MBA, I had the opportunity to work within the product management in a large corporate. Uh, first, I worked at Guilty, and then I had an um, working experience at Parker. And within the product management, I was also responsible to um, shape the concept uh, um, of sales uh, linked to the product. So the value proposition and everything that is related to a proper communication towards the market and um, internally and externally is a really relevant um, point. Um, and now today I'm in Schindler, having a team responsible for sales of a segment. So 
Yeah. Thanks very much, Julia. And uh, for those people who don't know, Schindler is a huge company, and you definitely use their products if you've ever gone up or down a building. <laughs> yes. At least one of those yes. products, right? Yes. It's one of the yeah. largest um, in company within the Adelator's uh, market. Yeah. I always yeah. use Schindler lifts, by the way. So. <laughs> okay. we, yeah. we always story. choose, right? We always look down before we get into them. Happy to hear that. <laughs> well, before we go to Akshat, thank you. welcome to uh, Ramon, who's watching us from uh, Washington, D.C. today. So it's early morning for you, Ramon. Thank you very much for joining us. And for Ujwal, who is watching us from London. So Akshat, over to you. Sure. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Akshat. I come from India. Uh, I started working there in an e-commerce startup called Flipkart, which was a very small startup at the time. My roles have mostly been focused on business development and category management. So um, all that heady mix of the chicken and egg problem of how do you bring customers and then develop a supply for them. Uh, I was there for four years before coming to Cambridge for my MBA. My goal was to learn more about how business is done globally, having learned so much of e-commerce back home in India. Uh, and post my MBA, I joined Delivery Hero uh, in the food delivery space, where I worked for three years uh, on the restaurant acquisition side of things, uh, sales, marketing. And now, currently, I'm working in Deliveroo as the global head of sales process and enablement. So it's been a very exciting time, and I'm looking forward to this chat. Thanks very much, Akshat. And Akshat was very humble by calling Flipkart a very small startup because I remember visiting uh, Flipkart in Bangalore and it was anything but small. It was huge. Um, it just completely revolutionized e-commerce in, in India, right? So yes, it's, it's grown a lot. I mean, um, it was acquired by Walmart a couple of years ago and I think now it's valued at $30 billion or something like that. So, uh, but yeah, it, the journey has been amazing for them. Okay. Before we get started in the uh, content, thanks. Uh, welcome to Lisa from Trinidad and Tobago. Nicholas, an alum calling All right. from... Uh, Nicholas, yes. Oh, okay. Your, your classmate, yeah. I guess. Yes. <laughs> from Dublin. Uh, Kunal's from India. Uh, Jawad's from the West Midlands, so welcome. We've got Jose from Portugal, uh, Jemima from Ghana, Firuz from, oh, Malaysia. So I'm from Singapore, so that's not far from where, where I'm from, where I was from. Uh, Marcos from London. And we'll see uh, more comments as we go along. Uh, just remember, put, put any sort of questions you have for the panel in the comments as well, and we'll take them. It's got to be a very interactive sort of discussion. So first, let's just take a look at what we are talking about in terms of the sales and marketing journey that's changed. And Akshat, do you want to talk a bit about this sales funnel, which um, I think a lot of people kind of know different elements of? Um, but yeah, Akshat, do you want to talk through some of this? Sure. Uh, I will talk through this um, This. Uh, funnel which we see in front of us and also I'll add a color to it in terms of how we in Deliveroo approach this and how it applies to restaurants. Um, so as we can see right at the top we're dividing this into outbound and inbound and essentially at a very high level what it means is outbound is something where you're approaching someone or you're selling to and inbound is someone who is already interested in the service or product which you're offering. 
So in, in the case of Deliveroo, what we have is we have restaurant partners who are already excited to be joining us and who want to join us. So they reach out to us, which is inbound. And for outbound, it's us reaching out to restaurants who we would like to join the platform. Now, uh, as we get into the funnel of, you know, first there's the awareness uh, and you generate some interest and all the way to finally getting them to commit. Um, of course, initially when the, uh, the prospect you're reaching out to, they haven't heard of you or your service or the product. Uh, it's always very essential to be able to communicate very clearly about what is the value add. And that's a very important part of it. That generates some interest. Okay, I see what you do. Maybe this could be something which is interesting to me and what my goals are. Uh, gives them consideration. And then finally, you get the intent to join the platform. And that's where so many, uh, so one of my key um, metrics which I'm driving for Deliveroo is the engagement bit and the efficiency bit of how do we do all of these activities as efficiently as possible and are we driving value for our customers which are restaurants in in this case uh, once they have intent uh, they evaluate what is the offer which they're getting from us and which gets them to commit and finally the revenue side of things uh, I know I breezed through this funnel all of this takes place over quite a bit of time and there's a lot of back and forth that happens but at a very high level, that's uh, that's what we look at uh, in terms of the sales funnel. Sure. Before we go and see if uh, Sarah or Julia has any sort of other perspectives to this, um, you mentioned, Akshat, that you drive the efficiency of this funnel. What does efficiency and the metrics mean for you in a place like Deliveroo? Sure. Uh, by efficiency, we mean... Uh, and I'll, I'll work with an example on this. So let's say I'm a restaurant, right? And I reach out to you uh, via inbound. Now we get hundreds and thousands of such interests uh, generated through our platform, but it's about are we able to reach out to them as efficiently as possible and in the right timing. So you would not like it if you were to reach out and someone gets back to you three or four days later. So it's about is someone on call right away to address any queries which or any expressions of interest which the restaurants are giving us so that's efficiency also in terms of how much are we spending to acquire these restaurants that's a very important metric for us so yes we can hire hundreds of people to acquire x number of restaurants but is there a more efficient way to drive the bottom line for the business so those are essentially the things which uh, which i look at Cool. Akshat, on that, Sarah, that's, uh, you're looking at cost of acquisition on that one. That's, exactly. that's what you mean. Exactly. Great. Sarah, Julia, any any comments about this from your from your experience? Yes, maybe I can add uh, one comment or one observation. Um, coming from uh, a large corporate, they operate within uh, um, the engineering aspect, just like Shimla, for example, we sell products that are not. Uh, um, addressed to the end customer, but to a uh, corporate, so it's a B2B, uh, it's a business to business. And in this case, uh, uh, to catch the intention of the, the customer, it is slightly more complex because there's the need to create, uh, again, the need uh, for, for the customer to pay for a good. So um, I'm working within um, the business of modernization of elevator. And of course, uh, the end customer is not willing to pay for um, a renovation of uh, the elevator if the elevator is still working. So all the process that uh, was shown must be focused within segments 
any specific messages uh, to light to um, turn on the attention of the customers. Cool, um, Sarah. Any any comments about this the sales funnels? Yeah, so I think on, on this one, um, from my perspective, Conrad, you and I started talking, um, I think, in the autumn. And I had said, you know, when, when we did the MBA, there were so many things that I learned throughout the program and I really enjoyed it. But there's some things that I, I missed um, and that, you know, I really thought would be a great opportunity to be able to talk about. And so thanks so much for the opportunity to come online and to talk with Julia and Akshat about this specifically. The funnel um, is really fascinating. I didn't actually learn about the funnel really. Like I think I always knew about it, but it wasn't something I really knew well until um, I started my, um, I guess it was my, I started IHS Market and I was talking with, um, I was a, an account manager at the time. So this was post-sale. Um, it's business to business sale, you know, specific target industry is, as Julia has just mentioned as well with specific messaging. And it wasn't until I think I was in one of the sessions where someone showed this funnel and I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. Like, this is cool. It's kind of like, you know, a funnel to be able to get people who, as Akshat said at the beginning, had interest and intent to buy. And then they moved down into the funnel to the end, um, you know, where there's the evaluation and the commit side. And from there, that's when they make a decision on commit to be able to convert into um, being a customer. And that's, a, you know, as Akshat was talking about, he was talking about, you know, a lot of us use Deliveroo as consumers, but there's also the other side of things too, which is the businesses themselves. And so that's a bit of the business to business approach. Um, Julia is working on the business to business approach, and I currently work in the business to business approach too. So it's really fascinating, actually, in the fact that for um, multiple organizations, you can use the same you know, diagram that we were looking at here. And Conrad, if you pull up the diagram, actually. So I think what's really yep. interesting here is, you know, for anyone, if you are in the sales side of things or you're not on the sales side of things, you can actually look at this. And mind you, when I say sales, I also mean marketing. There's, um, I'm part of an organization uh, or I'm a member of an organization called Pavilion, which is a collective, a collective of, of revenue uh, professionals. And so what we've what we've what I found through the conversations I've had there is really revenue today is changing so that it's a team. It's a team effort. You know, it's marketing and sales. It's never just marketing. It's never just sales. And I can see Akshat cheeking his head there. It's absolutely right. Like, yep. you know, marketing, you can see on the right with inbound marketing is getting further down into the funnel and passing over leads to sales to be able to close. Um, or, you know, there might be other processes. It might be a productized process to close to get to, to that commit. On the outbound side of things, you know, a lot of businesses like Julia's in particular is, is probably a, a lot of outbound in the fact that these businesses know Schindler. Um, you know, Julia, you can pop in whenever too. They know your business, they know your product, and they know that they want to keep using it. And so they're able to, you know, through those outbound efforts or through your relationships and partnership programs, be able to use the funnel to get to that point of commitment. But I think, Julia, you you were, when we talked recently, you said that um, the evaluation and commit side is, is where you really spend a lot of your time uh, on that. Do you want to share yeah, anything for that? Yes, of course, because... Um... So evaluation of the product, for example, when it comes to a technical solution, uh, must be um, built with the customer with um, an approach that is a consultancy approach. So to find the proper solution that fits the customer need. I can give you an example from my industry. We are renovating existing uh, installations. So if you think about the variety of buildings that are across the world, and but not only in terms of um, um, a stage, so how many stages the leader needs to fulfill, but also the dimension of the car or the shop and all the technology that was previously installed. 
uh, when we come to a commit, when we come to an evaluation, it's a really long phase of design the solution. And of course, being um, very close to the customer with a professional approach, for sure would help motivate them to come to a commitment. And also when we speak about commitment, uh, it's a really long process in my industry or quite a long process because it covers up what is also called fulfillment. Um, most of the time, actually always, our product is delivered on a job site, uh, which has a very strict timing. So uh, the delivery is uh, fundamental. And all of this uh, um, time frame, when uh, the editor is uh, installed and the fulfillment is achieved, it's part of the commitment uh, with the customer. It's quite a dedicated uh, phase because also um, the outcome of this phase, uh, of course, will generate the revenue, but we also generate a long-lasting uh, relationship uh, with the customer. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I think uh, that's where I mean Schindler would have such. I can totally understand when you mentioned there that that evaluation and commit part would be. Uh, so much longer because it's quite an investment for the customer as well and they would love to you know spend some time in making sure they've made the right choice yes yeah. Akshat I was curious on your side because you do enablement um, where do you put in different conversion rates throughout the process of the funnel to be able to understand um, you know which parts are actually pushing um, which which levers or which tools you're using across your across the platforms are, are driving them to make the decision to convert into the next stage because that's what this all is right it's it's a, exactly yeah yeah so so how I see it is uh, James Bond and agent Q. So Agent Q is the enabler for James Bond, you know? So that's exactly what it is. So I'm like the Agent Q for those salespeople to make sure that they have the necessary tools to be doing and to make their lives easier, basically. So when we're looking at this funnel, reaching out to uh, to your potential customers, being able to reach them out to in an as efficient way as possible. For example, if you were to start just dialing a cold call list, right? You won't be able to reach too many people. There are better ways. Uh, also in this funnel, I see the awareness and interest part of things which are assigned to marketing, which is so important because before you call up someone, it makes a big difference if they're a warm lead or if they're a cold lead. If they have received something, some email from you beforehand, they've seen some communication from you, it makes a big difference. If you just pick up the phone and call someone, they might be in the middle of something, they won't give you the consideration which is required to generate some intent. So in my side, enablement means bringing those tools in, you know, and there are so many of them out there, which can be useful for a sales team to be set up for success. Cool. We've got a couple of questions. So let me just post the first one from Kanal. Kanal asks, what are the tools you use to create value add for your prospects? And what are the tools to identify their pain areas. Does anyone want to take answer this question? Julia, that sounds like a uh, persona uh, ICP development process. It sounds like you've done quite a bit on that. Yes. Um, so the tools, I, I don't know if the question is related to technical tools that are used or the methodology, uh, but to create value for a prospect or to create a value, um, you must understand what are the pain points of the customer. So somehow it's, um, it's a question that it's somehow related. So when you know how a customer is uh, facing his job, 
and how what are their first challenges, then you know that there is a gap there and then you can uh, fill up the gap with a solution. Hmm? How do you get this information? It's uh, spending time for me on the field, in my personal experience. So I'm have, I have a work that it's, uh, of course, uh, an office work, uh, and I did a lot of home, home office in the latest time. But whenever it's possible, um, it's really important to be on the job site, uh, speak with customer, look at uh, what do we do while they install, which kind of challenge they have, uh, how they live the experience of uh, installing the elevator on one side. And on the other also, of course, if it's, if it's a matter to think about the end user. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit more uh, less, com I'm sorry, more complex to observe because you cannot interview users of elevators, uh, but that would be my suggestion. So be on the field, face to face with customer, ask question, and um, feel it live. I think uh, on my side, so uh, voice of the customer research is something I do quite a bit as well. So similar to, to Julia, um, when I do it uh, often, when you think about the prospects, um, if you're if these are prospects in an, exi an existing market that you already serve, you can use your customer base to do voice of the customer research to understand why is it that they came on board for your product? What was the pain that they were experiencing? And what value is it that they're, what's the impact really that they're now seeing? From the, from the perception of the value that they purchased. And I think that that's really important. On my side too, because I'm, I work in the software space, um, I use data uh, from software usage quite a bit as well. So depending upon what kind of platform you have, Deliveroo probably is a great example of this, uh, you have a lot of real-time data. Um, in, in my case with Connect4, we have real-time data. It's all anonymized. So for any of my customers who are listening, I don't know exactly what you're doing. Um, but there's anonymized data to be able to understand what actions are you taking in the system. Um, you know, for, for us, Connect4 is a client meeting platform. So it's to be able to make sure you have... Um, effective meetings that will move forward relationships. And so with that, it's how many meetings are set up in the individual meeting groups? How many, how long are they? Are they running to time? Are they using the agendas? You know, there's different components of the platform that can actually help you understand what are they finding the value? What are they using in action? Because often we'll say we find value in one thing, but your action will prove something slightly different. Um, so I think that if you can use your own platform, say software platform to be able to do that, or in Julia's case, the systems that are there to see what they're doing and to use, you know, maybe your own eyes to know what's going on or the verbal communication back. Um, in Akshat side of things, I'm, I'm guessing the system is probably your, your biggest one to be able to get that. So I'd love to hear a bit of that. Um, I guess the only thing from a tools perspective um, you can utilize on your website, you can use questionnaires, you can use different types of ways to engage via social media as well. So polling questions are really great to ask about pain points and then have specific questions that come back. So those are two really strong tools you can use with prospects to do new market or to, to confirm it in market. Um, and then when you have customers as well, um, when you get into the recurring revenue side and depending on your customer base, you can talk to them frequently. You can either send out pulse emails, uh, so pulse checks to know how they're doing, either via email in your platform um, or the other side of things, too, is, um, you know, if you ha actually have high ACV, so account, you know, average contact val contract value, you can actually spend more time with those people. Uh, you might have resources of team members who talk with them. And you want to make sure that that data from those conversations is coming back into a system. It might be a CRM. Um, I've been using Notion myself to be able to do that. And then it forms our product roadmap as well. 
Great. Akshat, any, any thoughts about this question from Kunal? Um, for us, it's not, I mean, it's a very straightforward thing for us because, yes, as Julia mentioned and Sarah mentioned as well, I mean, yes, there are so many ways you need to know about what are the value add and for prospect and which tools you can use. For us, uh, the restaurants, we have a very straightforward value add, which is we can get more orders for you and they're coming from an app. So uh, it's not at the same level, but what we do is once we do get them online, then there are so many different things which a restaurant might be looking to do, which where the account management side of things come in. So specifically, for example, we might have young restaurants who want to reach out to new customers who want to grow their customer base, or we have established restaurants who just want to add additional orders during some off-peak times. So that's where our individual tooling comes in of how we can grow that. All right, great. We have uh, two questions that I think are kind of this similar. So Marcos from London asks, what are some of the factors affecting the sales funnel while trading? And I think Kevin Yap from Malaysia has a sim similar question. What's the critical factor to succeed in this sales funnel? Anyone? I can, I can take the second one yeah? for sure. The critical factor to succeed the sales funnel is adequate alarming in my in my perspective so by adequate alarming i mean to say very frequently and this is i don't know a law of the universe but you will always have things which will not go as smoothly as you'd like you'll have a, you we'd all love to have a very smooth funnel where prospects come in from the one end and they go through and they sign up as accounts from the other but there are always those eddy currents that follow in that in that funnel where something gets stuck somewhere and because salespeople are very busy, they will have multiple priorities on their plate. They have a very busy day. They sometimes miss out on those. So it's up to us to make sure that there's adequate alarming in place and those alarm bells can ring if we see someone hasn't been reached out to for, let's say, the last three days or one week. And then they suddenly see, okay, this prospect is stuck in the same stage for the last, I don't know, seven days. Why don't we follow up what's going on? So if we have that, that smooths out the edges of this funnel and you have things flowing very smoothly. Mm. Okay. Yes. Julia or Sarah? On that. Yeah. Yes, I think it's very broad and um, um, perspective. So I think that uh, every single step is quite critical uh, because in every single step you have some criticality. Mm. Uh, how you can improve or um, enhance the rate of succeed of a sales funnel is uh, from the beginning, so when you plan it, uh, so when you define which one is the, the audience and with which content you want to start the funnel and addressing um, this audience of customers. And on the other side, it's um, the other important factor is to bring on board the organization uh, because as um, actually mentioned, sales guys are really busy and they don't have visibility of the funnel. So they are in the execution phase, okay? And the most they are engaged with the mission because they have visibility of what would be the result of what is the strategic direction and why certain content is provided to them, then the more they are engaged, the better you have chance to succeed. So for me, it's planning on side and on the other, engage the organization to um, go through the funnel and uh, provide the contribution. Okay. Sarah, any last uh, thoughts about this? 
Um, I think data. Data is like very critical. Um, so knowing, you know, we all are operating very on, you know, whatever our ownership areas are and the data that we can collect to be able to see that in action. Um, I think that that's something to be able to invest so that people can actually see the impact of their actions into the funnel and how that then affects, um, you know, the the revenue, either generation, um, either the, the prospective revenue or the actual revenue in hand. Uh, so, so data is, is critical in those processes, too, to be able to help you with understanding your conver- conversion rates, where things are getting held up, where it's not going to design, because um, you, you design a roadmap for the, the journey of the customer to go from intent through to decision. Um, and so from that side of things, I think it's important to be able to have the data to know, uh, you know, you can't just do it based upon thumb in the wind. Uh, we, we have the ability these days to now start doing that a bit more. Yeah, I think this addresses uh, Davos' question, which was, do you, did you define any action for when a customer is not using the full potential of your platform? And I think based on what all three of you have said, it really depends on your company and your industry, depends on mm-hmm. what are the key parts that you're looking at. And the data is going to be very important, but you also need to go and observe your customer and maybe mm-hmm. speak to them, figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe does anyone have thoughts? Yes, I was about to add maybe one observation on this question. What else you need? It's data and need also KPIs. So you need to implement yes. some steerings on your action. And um, taking a look at KPIs and how this progress, it helps you set which one, um, which action would be the most appropriate based on uh, uh, the overview. So for sure, there are dedicated KPIs. I believe in uh, your industry, actually, there are many, right? KPIs track efficiency logistics uh, and uh, yeah yeah a lot <laughs> yes. um to to add to this i think and this is a very good question from Davor here um there's generally a reason behind why a customer is not using the full potential of the platform and most frequently what i've seen is it's because they don't know it exists something that they know that they can do but they don't know that they can do it so in this case, it's very important to our, put ourselves in the shoes of our customers and to actually see how they interact with the product, which is why it's very important to have shadowing sessions with them to see that, show us how if you were to open up the platform right now, what would you see, what would you do? And that gives us a lot of insight of how um, things are going. So that's just my two cents on this. Yeah, that's a great question. Conrad, it actually reminds me of the new funnel uh, that I oh, think yes. would be really important or really good to show people as well. Would you would you mind pulling that up? Yeah, so the bow tie. Yeah, the bow tie. So uh, last summer I had the an opportunity through that group pavilion I mentioned earlier to take a class called Revenue Architecture School. And I was with this wonderful person named Jacko, uh, who is the um, founder of an organization called Winning by Design. And so that's where these graphics are from, uh, is actually from him. He presented this, uh, which is called the Bowtie Model. So on the left-hand side, if you um, if you went from the funnel and put it on its side, uh, that is the traditional funnel. Um, the one thing that had always gotten me um, through throughout understanding the funnel and the way that uh, revenue re- recurring revenue companies worked, which is you know I've, I'm in business to business SaaS, so that tends to be recurring revenue. So either multi-year contracts, monthly con- monthly re- recurring subscriptions, things of that nature. So this model itself actually provides the opportunity to just turn it on its side and open up another side of the funnel, which is the other part of the bow tie. Um, so once you get to commit and the customer comes on board, there are actually um, 
most organizations already have this if you have existing business, but this is a nice way to be able to put a model to, uh, to the work that's being done. So basically what it is, is you want to go through that process of onboarding them to make sure that they know as much as they can about the platform. But having been in the customer success side of things in this recurring revenue component post-sale for, for a few, multiple years now, uh, adoption is difficult. It's difficult to be able to drive adoption mm -hmm. uh, with customers, particularly software products. Um, you know, maybe it's a bit different when it comes to, to hardware products or physical products or, um, you know, different, different um, products. But there's also mm -hmm. features that they might not see in that space as well. So onboarding is really important to get things going. But where you actually make the impact and you get the people actually finding the value of your product consistently or confirming what they purchased is once you get through that first conversion ratio, um, so say after the onboarding, to coming in and proving the impact and then growing their accounts. This is where you've got the growth loop. Um, so this is where you look at, you know, in this case, you can see on the bottom, there are actually some uh, some. Uh, I guess, individual components that come in. So there's MRR, so monthly recurring revenue. This is the language of, of SaaS software. And there's LTV, so lifetime value. And really, it's all about making sure that you're not just looking at the end of their working with you as a, as a part of your commercial business, but it's actually just the beginning of the other side of growth. And that's where I think that this is a really great model to be able to start looking at. So I think winning by design, if anybody's curious about it, you can just go onto their website. Um, they have great content that's on there. Um, so you can, you can learn just through them or YouTube as well. There's, there's tons of YouTube channels on it as well. This is what I subscribe to. Um, it was great for me to be able to see this model because this is actually what I've always thought about with recurring revenue. Your customers uh, for a lot of businesses are actually untapped revenue in, in a lot of cases. They'll come on board for a particular service. They'll use that one service, but until they know about your additional services through time with you or additional coaching with you and, and continual, say, product marketing, um, they won't necessarily be able to see that value until it's um, built up over time. Uh, and so that's where, you know, it's, this model is, is fantastic to be able to plug into. This is all part of, you know, what a lot of people are talking about today, which is the recurring revenue uh, side of businesses. And in, in my space, it's particularly in SaaS. Uh, Julia, you have it in, um, in the fact that, you know, you're leading up the modernization side of things. So they've already committed mm -hmm. once, they've bought your product once, they're going to do it again. So it's recurring yes. revenue as well. Yes. It's just different, li different life or different, um, sales sales journeys and life and values and all of that. Mm -hmm. Yes, and we can also add a comment uh, to, to this um, um, framework that uh, we introduced here. Um, I really like it because I think it uh, represents graphically um, a component, the expansion, which most of the time is carried on in organization, but it's never, uh, it's never been brought to the attention of the, the structure of the function, right? Um, so if I look at it, uh, I would couple the acquisition phase, so the standard funnel, to the engagement of the organization to achieve a customer commitment, and then the expansion phase to the engagement of the customer, uh, which is a really important aspect. Because we, we've been speaking now for uh, quite some minutes about uh, the acquisition part, and you can imagine how hard it can be for an organization to implement all the steps and bring one customer on board. So we don't want to repeat this process over and over, but we want to keep our customer base and want to grow their loyalty. Mm -hmm. And I can share with you also, this is linked to my past experience. I was working at Hilti, uh, which is a, a, a corporate that not only provide one product, so you would like to 
and the idea is to bring the customer on board not for one solution but for multiple solutions so to cover up the full potential of the customer and this you do it only if you work on onboarding impacting and growth uh, through it <clears throat> through a relationship sorry yeah so for... I, really like, I really like this uh, this view yeah i i agree i mean this view is very very i mean it puts graphically what the business is basically so and i can give a color of how it works with restaurants so imagine you're a restaurant and with high hopes you join a platform where you will get a lot more orders but then you open the app for a week for a month you get no orders what happens you start okay this doesn't work i'm just not going to switch on the app anymore and the and the restaurant just loses interest and goes away so we call this a churned account and in my previous company as well in delivery hero uh, we used to be working with markets where churn was like 20 30 percent sometime so what we used to see is you're signing at great cost so many restaurants to the platform but if they don't get orders from the system or from the from your platform then there was no point of signing them in the first place so which is why the second half of the funnel is so important for, for every business that once you have the customer, the job is not done. The job is to make them grow, to make sure that they're achieving their goals and more to drive value for them, sometimes even more than what they signed up for. So that's what's the, I mean, this, this bow tie model captures that in a very succinct way, I would say. So uh, this is something which uh, I think even in my current company, we're driving a lot where once you have signed up a restaurant to make sure that there's someone always supporting them and making sure that they're set up for success. They know the tools that they can use and which are at their disposal to be able to reach out to customers to make sure they're value adding and, you know, uh, growing with the platform. Akshat, it sounds mm -hmm. like you have um, you have a land and expand model uh, going there, too, which works brilliantly uh, with this side of things too. They land at one thing and then they expand over time through support and yep. success and, you know, seeing the impact of the value that can become, can be yep. seen. We have actually a couple of questions about the second part it, um, of the funnel. So let me just put this up first. How, how, this is a question from LinkedIn. How important is it to synchronize what you promise and what is eventually delivered to the customer? How do you make sure it's done you know, exactly how the organization wants it to be? Um, I guess my, my own take on it is how do you make sure that it's not so much how the organization wants it to be, but how does, how does the customer want it to be? Um, any thoughts about this? Um, I have lots of thoughts on this one, but does anyone else first? Yes. <laughs> well, I'll go with the first straight answer. Maybe it's a simple uh, concept, but you do it localizing uh, the organization. Of course, you must have uh, resources uh, or you must have a willingness to invest into certain markets that uh, are supposed to be the one most uh, relevant for the business or the one that you assess to be the most relevant, and then you need to localize. Um, I'm working for a large corporate uh, at a global level, and all the content that it's developed, it's then uh, uh, sent out to the market organization, and they are completely free to localize it in terms of uh, language, uh, approach, uh, content, because as you mentioned, not all the customer will have the same kind of habits, behavior, uh, needs, and uh, so by having dedicated resources, uh, for sure you can address this in a better way. 
uh, when this is limited, then my suggestion would be just to optimize and focus on uh, what in which countries you uh, assess to be uh, key for your business. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, um, you know, when I, I was with a, a really great group here in Cambridge called Clink.com, and they they do client portals. Um, so the primary language is, is English, uh, and it's a UK-based company, but they sell globally, as you can with software. Um, but in doing that from a localization, from a language perspective, um, you know, they, they had actually crowdsourced um, the language component. And then within, they use systems to be able to easily um, use the crowdsourced language terms that were in the English version into other, I think they ended up getting to, I think they're at 15 languages at this point in time. So through uh, adoption of customers, the customers actually were able to feed back into um, that development component, which was great. It's a way to be able to get customers to see their input actually coming live into the system, um, which is one thing. But the the important part I wanted to bring up on this question was the first part, which is how important is it to synchronize what you promise and what you eventually deliver? When you're selling a product, you are selling a perceived impact. When the customer comes on board, they're going to stay and not churn, uh, as Akshat said before, based upon the impact that was actually delivered. So there's going to be two sides of it. You do want to make sure it's very important that the two sides do meet. It depends upon your business, of course. Um, some businesses, you're going to have an easier time doing that or a harder time. And really, it's about marketing and sales, making sure that the messaging is clear. Sales, making sure that they don't overpromise um, based upon maybe what's on a roadmap or things of that nature, depending upon what kind of product, again, it is that you have. It's very important that there's synchronicity. And that's why I think there's a lot of revenue. The commercial side of many businesses are starting to see both marketing sales and customer success to all come under one piece of, of an organizational platform, maybe under a CRO or a chief customer officer. There, there are different ways organizations are, are coming together, but CRO tends to be the big one. And CRO is not just sales, it is marketing, sales, and, and customer success as well, and, and a lot of organizations that are trying to do just that. Thanks very much. We, I wanted to go to one last question from Jaya Prasad. Um, and it kind of links to what we were talking about in terms of segmentation. So multi-billion, Jaya asked, JS, multi-billion businesses, primarily B2B, who serve a wide range of industry segments, often have different size of customers whose expectations within the same industry are very different. So how do we serve two segments with a personalized experience so we can grow and retain, let's say, the 100 million segment, but also incubate and grow the 5 million customer to become a large one? Who wants to take this? I think that goes into the land and expand model. Is that, um, Akshat, is that what you, do you have the size of ACVs? Yes. Um, so in our case, I think uh, what this would apply to is the size of a restaurant. So you might have your neighborhood kebab shop, or you might have the established big chains who already are uh, driving a lot of revenue. So this is where it's very important to, first of all, have good communication with your partners. I mean, and we call them partners, so not customers. So it's very important to make sure that you're transparent about what you can offer and what you're you know, able to commit. And um, in terms of a small restaurant, their offering that they need is could be very different from what a large uh, restaurant might need. So the most important thing is to make sure that they're aligned with what we can deliver. And with, with our account managers, it's always very important to make sure they know the tools that they can provide a customer. So with an example, like I know we're just almost out of time. Uh, 
a young restaurant who just wants as many customers as they can might go for banner ads on the platform where they can just put up an ad on the platform to see when someone might order. Whereas an, a very, uh, oh, thank you, Mint. Whereas a very established player like a McDonald's or a KFC might only want orders in the off-peak time. So we deliver a different product for them. Mm. So name of the game is communication and transparency. Yeah, that's interesting. I think it has to do with uh, also what Julia was talking about earlier, which is know your customer. Um, so yeah. voice of the customer. And a lot of businesses now have, um, you know, you might have an SMB group, a mid-market group, an enterprise group, and each of those parts of the commercial organization will have different ICPs that they're trying to talk to and different product offerings, which Akshak just talked about as well. All of that, though, has to do with the voice of the customer conversations that Julia was mentioning before. Mm -hmm. So know what your segments are and then be able to build uh, processes to be able to support those, build those teams and support those teams. Yes. A last comment. I know we need to, to close the, the call. I think it's also important to differentiate again in, uh, in the organization. So mm -hmm. the way you interface a small customer, it's with um, certain resources, maybe limited one. The way you interface with a big um, customer, I'm thinking about a very large project of modernization, it would be with more resources, technical experts. Uh, and mm -hmm. um, so you need to differentiate also internally the way you approach uh, the customer. Well, thank you so much. I know we've got lots more to share and it's been a great pleasure speaking to you, Sarah, Julia and Akshat. If you like this and you want more, don't worry, this is a double header. So we're going to be back <laughs> here um, next week, same time to talk uh, a bit more about the sales and the marketing sort of journey. So thank you very much, all of you for joining us. Your questions have been great and we'll see you again next week. Sounds good. Thank Bye, you. everyone. Bye-bye.